but he even ends that in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. Uh, This psalmist is confessing that really he's not looking rightly at the world. He's only looking at the, the way the wicked live and how their life is full of ease, joy, and pleasure. So I guess one of the challenges is to you, when you live your life, how do you look at the world? Do you, do, you, do you view the things that they're doing and the, the life of ease that they're having, maybe spending days upon days watching uh, Netflix or you know, having the freedom to, to go and do as they please? Do you look at them and say, man, that would be pretty sweet. I could, I could enjoy that. Or do you look at them and pity them because they're far from the Lord? They're far from deep friendships and relationships. This psalmist is confessing this. Isn't that just refreshing to know that there are people of God who struggle with sin? You know, one of the challenges of, of, of modern day is that when we misunderstand the gospel and we think, as God made it clear in Gideon's day, that salvation comes from me. I want you to get, to get, to get down to 30, 300 men so that everyone would know that salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, the challenge is, is that although we believe that, we don't often live that way. So we, we, we set up something in our, in our life to try to, in some way, earn God's favor more by what we do and by, by our labors. Therefore, when we don't measure up to the standard that we've set for ourselves, we are undone. And we don't feel the freedom to confess it because we're living up to this standard. Rather than realizing that we are all bereft, right? We are all full of sin and we all have problems. You know, we, we all will sin again. We all will get angry with our children. If we don't feel the freedom to confess that to one another, that sin will keep us in bondage. And every time we confuse, refuse to confess our sin, what we're saying is, is that I don't think God is big enough to forgive me. And I don't think God's, God's spirit is powerful enough to work in God's people to forgive me. I remember as a young man struggling with a particular sin and finally getting to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. I just had to share it with my roommate. And I was expecting that my roommate would shun me, that he would no longer want to be my friend, want me to move out. And um, I looked at him, and he just said, sometimes um, when we feel our worst, we know God's love the most. And he gave me a hug. Is cry. The freedom of confession brings healing. So whatever your sin is, in this, in this case it is Asaph struggling with a love of the world. Not the life of Christ. And listen, that is going to be a temptation for a lot of us. I mean, read through the New Testament. What did Jesus say? Is that some people, the seed comes down and it grows Among the thorns. And what are those thorns? The desires for riches and wealth. What did Paul say to Timothy? Avoid worldly wealth. Run from it. For many have have turned away from the Lord and brought many pangs pangs of trouble into into their life. The world and the happiness of the world is a lie. It's not real. So whatever it is you're struggling with, if it's envying in the world or other sins, 
I pray that you would have the boldness and the courage of Asaph and confess it. Confess it. In song. This is what we do, right? We confess these things in, in song. Right? Listen to the songs that we sing. Listen to the, the confession of our sin. And listen to the reminder of the hope of the gospel. That you are forgiven in Christ. That one has taken your pain. Who has felt the nails upon his hands. Right? Jesus Christ put the, put, took the nails upon his hands. Took the, the wrath of God upon his, upon his heart. Because so he knew in the joy of that moment that one day he would be raised. And one day you would be too. That all your, all your sin would be paid for on the cross. So there's no need for you to be ashamed of confession. Confess it freely and let, let the forgiveness of God fall upon you. First question, do you envy the wicked? Second question, is your heart bitter? Is your heart bitter? This is a little bit different. Look at verse 12. He continuing to, con, or verse 13, continue this confession. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have portrayed the generation of your children. He, what we're seeing in Asaph's confession here, he had developed a bitterness in his heart based on his circumstances. It's, it's much like the, the, the older brother in, in Luke chapter 15. When he says, I've been here all day long. I never left you, Dad. And, and, and I have not been one goat for a party for my friends. I do everything right. And you never see it. This is what Asaph is saying to the Lord. God, I've kept my heart clean. I've been pure before you. And look at my life. They are running after all this other sin and they're happy. Look at that person who's married. Lord, I, all I want is a husband. And I've, I've lived my life for you. And, and that person gets married at, on a whim. And they don't even love you. There's this bitterness that can creep into our heart when we doubt the good hand of God. Everything that happens in your life happens under the control of a good, sovereign, wise God. God knows exactly what you need. He is good to give you exactly what you need. He is wise to give you exactly what you need. He is true, friend. This man is bitter. Has bitter developed in your heart? I mean, the easiest place for bitter to develop in your heart is towards a, a relationship a friend or a spouse where you're continuing to give and give and give and you, you don't get back what you expect from that relationship. So there's this little seed of, of bitterness starts growing in their heart. They don't really understand me. I do everything for them and they don't appreciate me. Right? This is what we, we see this bitterness growing and developing in this, um, this, man's, this man's heart. And this bitterness is directed towards the Lord. Now remember, he, he's, he's, he's confessing this bitterness. He's saying, I've been bitter towards the Lord. I, I, I've been doing all these things, and God has not been answering my prayer as, as, I, as I needed to him, him to. There's bitterness there. And, and friend, we don't want to be bitter. You know, we, we, we don't want to, to um, 
malign God for something that he has, has not given us. That's really the, one, of the, one of the roots of sin is thinking that God has not provided for you exactly the way he wants you to. Exactly the way he decided to. Think about the Garden of Eden. All the trees in the garden. All the luscious fruit. This beautiful place that God has given to Adam and Eve. And what did, the, what did Satan say? You can't eat from that tree. All these trees God gave him. But he won't let you eat from that one. And that's where it starts. And Eve starts to look at that tree, seeing that, that fruit that is pleasing to the eye. Oh, and she's so hungry. I deserve that apple. I deserve that fruit, whatever it is. It's not a fruit. It's not an apple, but you know what I'm saying. Right? We, I deserve that because, because God has, has not given me something, so I want to take it. And look what has come of that. And guys, I think that, you know, that's happened to all of us. We think that God has withheld something good from us, so we, 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 we are embittered against him, and then we go try to, try to take it. Not trusting that God, in his kindness, has only given us what we could handle. God is good. So let me ask you, is your heart bitter? Is there some kind of bitterness growing in your heart towards, towards a member of, of, of your family that you need to confess? That you're angry with someone in your family because of how they aren't fulfilling you? Or maybe it's someone in this church that, that, that has not been uh, doing and treating you the way you deserve. Maybe they haven't been calling you enough. You feel neglected. You feel distant from them. So this bitterness is, is growing in your hearts towards, towards them. Maybe it's one of, the, one of our leaders in our church that bitterness is growing in your heart because you don't think they're leading well. Maybe it's me as your pastor and you, you have an issue with something in my life and instead of coming to me and, 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 and confessing that, you're, you're allowing bitterness to come into your heart and heart hindering your ability to hear God's word on Sunday. Bitterness is evil, beloved. Confess it. And every time you confess that your heart is bitter against someone, what you have the ability to do is restore a relationship. Right? Bitterness is natural to the human heart in a fallen world. But we, we, need, we need help, which is the third question. Does the, how does the church help? How does the church help? You know, one of the things that we ask ourselves that more and more today is, why do I need to go to church? I'm not sure if you've realized over the last several years, but the church has kind of fallen on hard times. The, the faithfulness of the local body has, has kind of fallen on, on the wayside um, more and more. So the, the, the person who used to be at church four times uh, a month is now going to church two or three times a month. Uh, you know, vacations are longer. Sporting events have, have overtaken. People's faithfulness to the local church is just not as, not as active. Now, by God's grace, I think that we are doing a good job. You know, if I tell the, an average pastor in town, hey, listen, yeah, we have a, maybe 120 on a Sunday morning, and we may have 60 or 70 on a Sunday night. They look at me like I'm crazy. They want to come back for more? <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they love being around each other. It's really a powerful thing. Uh, but I, I, th I think in general there's this movement that people don't see the value of going to church anymore. And listen, there's things that happen when God's people gather that we can't predict. Asaph is loving the world in his heart. It doesn't say he's going after the world, right? He's not pursuing all the things in the world, but his heart is is being lured away, right? Like a fish after a, after a bait, just being lured away from the Lord. 
His heart is being embittered against God. And yet what happens? Look at verse 16. But what I thought, how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. How do I deal with my own bitterness? How do I deal with my, my love of this, this world, people who are living in sin? This is, this is tiresome, Lord. I can't handle it. And I love this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. It wasn't until I gathered with the people of God and I thought about what was destined to happen to those in the world and all the wealth and all the goods that they had, I thought of them. And he says, Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When Asaph was in the gathering of the people of God, he got perspective. He saw things as they really were from the truth of God's word. That those who, who love the Lord, those who keep his commandments, will be received in the next life by the Lord of glory. But those who live for this world only and live for the pleasures of this world, they are destined for ruin. Now they, may, they may look like they have it all together, but they are, they are standing on the edge of a glacier cliff. And there's a crack 60 miles back. The cliff is going down. Friend, when, when we gather as believers, one thing that we do is we get perspective on what is true and what is lie. This is why it's so important that we, we preach the Word of God every single time we gather. This is why we read the Word of God on our own, we meditate, we read it upon our hearts, because the Word of God gives us perspective, it shapes and conforms us to, to, be, to be renewed within our mind and not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We, we, we want to do that. That's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your, your lives as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and approve God's will, God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. There's something in hearing the word of God and being with God's saint that you kind of see reality again. You realize that you really don't want the life of the world. That you may want it sometimes. You may want to have no responsibilities and no commitments. I have a, I have a friend that doesn't want to be part of a local church because he doesn't want to be inconvenienced. It's just that simple. He doesn't want to give himself to others. Right? Well, yeah, that may look good. That may look good that you can sleep in on a Saturday and, 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 and play with all the toys and all the land that you have. But one day you're going to meet the Lord. He's going to ask you, what did you do to my people? How does the church help you? One of the greatest things that God has given the church for our own holiness and our own sanctification is each other. Right? See, it's not just when the word goes forth here on Sunday morning, right? During the service, it's after this time. It's when you gather in small groups. It's when you talk after, after church. Now, you could easily talk after church about the weather, right? You could easily talk about the upcoming football season, which many of you will do, which is, which is great, and uh, the, the close of the baseball season when the Cubs are going to win another World Series championship. And we can easily do that, right? 
But what would be better to talk about is, is how God is re- refining and sanctifying you. It would be better to talk about how God is, is can, you can confess your sin. That after you heard the word this morning, you can say that, by God's grace, I haven't slipped away, but I'm tempted to. This is why I love that song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. My heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. We need the Lord's help to do that. How does the church help you? Are you leaning into the body enough so that, that, that God's work would have its effect in you? That, that you would, would see the, the world and see the sin in your life and see them in, in the right perspective of God's word. That all that sin and all that pleasure of the world will come to nothing, but will come to ruin if you continue after it. But when you run from that and you run to Christ, you'll be forgiven. You, you experience true pleasures for eternity. I mean, even the, the verse that, that, that Casey read today in James 4, our life is what? breath. That's all it is. It's mist. It's here one minute and gone the next. Those of you who've raised kids, you know, right? One minute they were, they were knee high and all, the, all of a sudden they're caring for you. And when did this happen? It just moves so quickly. You could be transformed in a second back to that place when they were, they were just sitting on your knee. Life moves so fast. And then it's over. 80 years. And then that's it. 90 if we're lucky. Or a hundred, if you're max, right? You know, we, we, we have a short time in this, this life, but what has God promised? Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to be in His presence. To have pleasures forevermore. Why would you waste forever on right now? And you only see that when you gather with God's people. And you hear God's word and you refine to be more like Christ and not be more like the world. The problem with judges is the people of, of God there, they became more like Canaan, more like the world. And they drifted and they spiraled farther and farther away from God. Why? They did not go to the sanctuary of God to hear his word. And this is the problem with America. The American church in particular. Because the American church is no longer going to the sanctuary to hear God's word. No longer going to the sanctuary to be refined and, 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 and convicted and encouraged to, to love Christ more than this world. But you know what the church often in America is called, calling you to? Just become like the world. Let's just water it down as, as low as we can. Well, you know what happens eventually? People start loving the world when they should be loving Christ. This is why we here always preach the word of God. Well, lastly, let me close here with the last question. Simply, is God your strength? Is God your strength? We close this psalm. Look at verse 21. Remember, this is, this is still the confession that he's confessing to the Lord. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. Just think about that confession. My soul was embittered, Lord. I, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish. I was arrogant. I was a fool. That is, that is a true confession. Nevertheless, I 
love it. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You see what he's saying? Even though I'm a sinner, and even though I was a fool and I was disobedient, you never left me. I'm with you. I'm continually with you because of your kindness in my life. That is a powerful word. That is a powerful God. When God reaches down into your life and grabs you for salvation, He never lets go. Ever. No matter what you do, He holds fast to your life by His grace. You guide me with your counsel, verse 24. And afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's a wonderful confession. Right? That's not where he started, was it? He came in, right? Loving the world and bitter. And he left God. I have nothing but you. My desire is to have nothing but you. Don't you want that desire? Lord, we want nothing but you. How does it happen? It happens with what we're doing right now. The daily, weekly, regular hearing and preaching of God's word with God's people. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, this is that song, my heart and flesh cry out, right? Our flesh is going to fail, Right? This is that, 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 that back and forth that Paul says in Romans 7. I, I desire to do your will and yet I fail. The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. What can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is our strength of our heart and our portion forever. We're not trusting in our ability to obey God's commands. Our salvation does not rest on our ability to obey God's commands. Our salvation rests on God who is our strength. It is not our our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. We may have weak faith, but if we have faith in the one thing that can save us, the God who is our strength, we will see Him forever. So verse 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. Let that sink in. This man was desiring to be like those who are going to be damned. That's what the world does. That's what Satan does. He just tries to slowly coax you. Coax you into pleasure. Coax you into comfort. Coax you into ease. But his his, his goal is not ease, it's not comfort, it's not pleasure. His goal is your ruin. And it's your destruction. And that's the promise for everyone who's unfaithful to the Lord. But, verse 28, For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I may tell that God has saved me. He is my strength. So, beloved, if God is your strength, if you're not trusting in your ability to keep God's commands, but you're trusting in the, 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 the blood-bought salvation that, that you have been given through Jesus Christ by calling upon His name, the hope that we have in the resurrection, if that is your strength, do what? Tell 
of his works. If that is the greatest thing in your life, that you've been saved from your sins, why would you keep it quiet? Why would you keep it quiet? If you have the freedom to confess that you're a wretched sinner, but you're saved by the grace of God. If you have the freedom to confess that and feel it in your hearts that you have been redeemed, not because of your good works, but because of the good work of God in Christ for you. If you believe that, tell someone about it. Tell of his good works. So that others would not face ruin, would not face the love of the world or an embittered heart, but that they, like us, could, could enter the sanctuary of God where His Holy Spirit dwells and experience forgiveness. To know that God is our strength, where it is good to be near God. Beloved, I pray that you would strive with all that is in you for have Jesus Christ to be your only desire, to have him be greater than all the pleasures of this world. For it is true, it is good to be near God. Father, I pray that you would allow the people of God here uh, to be near you. We ask this in Jesus' name.